What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and today we have what is my favorite video to record, research, outline, everything. It's Monday, which means we are going to be talking through my top 10 lessons learned for week five of the fantasy football season. Looking forward to week six, I pretty much go through all of the games, all of the data, and I bring to you guys my top 10 takeaways, lessons learned, observations from the game, and apply them or the games, and apply them to fantasy football. So as always, if you enjoy this video, make shout down below. Subscribe. Leave a like. Let's go. Now, first up, you know, of all the terrible things that have happened to the Jets so far, we finally got some positives. Now, I will say, I mean, the Jets' best offensive lineman, Tore his Achilles yesterday, so we are just in a world of hurt, but we won, and the first takeaway here is Brees Lightning, unleash the Brees, feed the Brees, whatever you want to call it, man, Brees Hall was an absolute stud yesterday, he had 22 carries, 177 rushing yards, a touchdown, 75 rushing yards over expected, he had that huge long run you can see there, which is great to see, I think he had like a 70 plus yard run, which post ACL, that's exactly what you want to see. And I was talking about it with a buddy of mine who's also a Jets fan. Like, I think it's because I'm just like a wuss, but it would be a real like mindfuck for me of being Brees Hall, tearing your ACL in Denver, and then almost like pretty much almost a year later to the dot going there again to play football. I don't know. I, it would just, it would trip me out. Um, I wouldn't really be confident. And he came out there, looked amazing, broke the doors off of the Broncos defense. Of course, the Broncos defense hasn't been great, but just to see him go out there, like he clocked in outside of the Miami Dolphins, he clocked in the second fastest time where it's the Miami Dolphins, it's Jamar Chase, and then it's Brees Hall on that 72-yard rushing touchdown from yesterday. He hit 21.5 miles per hour, man. Like that is really, really good to see post ACL. Now I do actually want to double check. I'm curious if he hit something faster in 2022. Cause I know that he was definitely on the leaderboard, uh, for fastest ball carriers last year. So if I go to 2022, he hit 21.87 in week seven versus the Broncos as well. So 21.5 last year, 21.87, uh, was his highest, uh, ball carrier speed. So it kind of, it kind of checks out that Brees Hall is, you know, about 90% plus back, the uh, snap count sort of report that came out that was like Brees Hall's not going to be a snap count anymore. That was true as well, where he came out here. He had his highest snap share of the season, getting to 52%. We, we had Dalvin Cook all, all the way down to 16%. I think the next sort of step here is for Brees Hall to eat into those long down and distance snaps Michael Carter is taking and those two-minute drill snaps that Michael Carter is taking so that we can shrink this down from a three-headed backfield to a two-headed backfield We'll see. It kind of just comes down to how much they trust Brees Hall in the pass game, which I don't know why they wouldn't. Like he, his targets per run is twenty one percent, so he's somebody they want to get uh get going in the passing game. Now I know that there are some concerns with Brees Hall, right? How do we feel about him moving forward? To me, he's an RB one rest of season. Uh, if they're going to feed him in this capacity, I mean, I wouldn't expect twenty plus touches every single week, but if we can just get to, I mean, we had some games early on this year where we were talking like two carries or you know four touches. If he can just get consistently to like the 15 area in every game, he's been so efficient that that's going to be enough for him. Now, I know that people are going to ask, well, this offense is horrible. Zach Wilson is bad. The reason why 
Garrett Wilson takes a massive hit with Zach Wilson and why it's a lesser hit with Brees Hall is that without Aaron Rodgers, this has been the run-heaviest team in the NFL where this is neutral pass rate across the league. You have the Chiefs, Bengals, Dolphins at the top, so that pretty much checks out. And then you have the Jets all the way at the bottom running the ball a ton. So when you're not passing the ball, you're running the ball a lot. Like we see here, it opens up a lot of opportunity for your ball carriers where a guy like Brees Hall ends up with 20-plus touches yesterday despite only playing 52% of the snaps. So there's a lot of volume to go around. And on top of that, Zach Wilson's been a little bit better. Like he hasn't, he didn't play as well as he did versus the Chiefs here. Uh, but he had one pick towards the end, but it wasn't one of these like normal boneheaded picks where he just throws it to a guy who's clearly covered. I don't mind him throwing 50-50 balls to Garrett Wilson and getting picked off there. It was Pat Sertain. Sertain made a hell of a play catching a pick between his legs. Uh, but I mean, if that was a little bit more towards the back shoulder, it would have been fine. It wasn't like this boneheaded play. It didn't cost the game. Uh, so I'm not sure. He had this. He also had this great uh, play on like that final drive as well, where uh, third and four, he stares down Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's clearly the first read. They double him. It's not there. He goes through his progressions. He finds Tyler Conklin up the seam and gets like a big chunk play out of it. So to me, he. this is all to say that he, he's not even in the top 25 quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's at least not stone worst unanimously at this point he's bottom 10 which is actually like a massive improvement so we'll see if he can build on that this offense though has been enough of an environment that Brees Hall can still get his now our second takeaway is Jonathan Taylor cucked by Zach Moss and will this continue um so Jonathan Taylor comes out here he gets the three-year huge uh contract extension and the question really just becomes does this stick? Now, where did I put... Yeah, there we go. There's the Zach Moss, uh, Jonathan Taylor game logs here. Which, by the way, this is the utilization report. Shout out Fantasy Life. It's honestly absolutely insane that they can get uh, all of this data the day after the games are done. Uh, but you can see here, Jonathan Taylor was really not that much in the mix. Jonathan Taylor, just 16% of the snaps, 18% of the rush attempts, 14% of the routes... It wasn't really all that great. Like, I think he ends up with just, like, four or five touches. It really wasn't. I mean, a lot of us started him. I started him myself. Yeah, he had six carries and one catch, so seven touches here. But it makes sense. They were very adamant that he would be on a touch count. It makes sense as well that, you know, he's not up to game speed. It takes a couple games for these guys to get their their feet under them. So, I wouldn't be panicking with Taylor. Uh, Moss has done enough to kind of solidify himself as the 1B in this backfield, but that's also... Not a massive deal. We see backfield all the time getting split between two players. I think Jonathan Taylor is efficient enough to be all right there. Um, I think that we have a bye week coming up. No, week 11. So it's actually not really coming up. But uh, you have two more pretty tough defenses to go up against. Jacksonville, Cleveland, and then like the Saints. But I think once you get to Carolina, the Patriots, a bye week, I think that's when he's going to start turning up. So until we kind of see that role expand, I, I'm treating Jonathan Taylor as like a fringe RB2 moving forward we'll see I, i'd imagine what if he got seven touches here i'd imagine that he starts to get into that 10 plus category as they work him back in so i would just say temper your expectations in the short term with jonathan taylor but at least he's back he's getting paid i'd imagine you know two three more games in uh we'll start to see jonathan taylor be a fantasy stud now our third takeaway is the falcons played 21st century ball this week man they did they had 37 pass attempts going around you had Drake London get nine targets, Kyle Pitts get 10 targets. Now, Bijan suffered with just two targets here, which isn't great for him, but 
it was all around pretty good. The only concerning part was just Kyle Pitts having a tw uh, 25 routes run on 39 dropbacks. That's going to be a lot lower than where he's usually on. He's usually like a 90% route participation guy, but the targets were there. So I I'm not all that I'm not all that upset with 25 routes if he's going to get 10 targets on those routes. Kyle Pitts got home. He had a great game uh, as well, where I want to say he had he had what like yeah 11 targets. So PFF has him at 10, but Sleeper has him at 11 targets. But he had seven catches, 87 yards, 15.7 fantasy points. He did great without scoring a touchdown. You also had Drake London, who did, I would say, I would call it fine. I don't think that he really went uh, crazy or anything, but six catches for 78 yards will do. Uh, everyone got home besides Bijan is kind of what it felt like. But Bijan also got a touchdown, 11.8 points. But Desmond Ritter was pretty good. And I think that he might have had like the most passing yards of his career. He had over 300 passing yards in this game. And on top of that, uh, the reason that this Falcons offense is so good and so fantasy-friendly, uh, or no, 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 let me just take a step back. They're not so good, but the reason why they're a little bit more fantasy-friendly this year is because the environment is better. I do want to make it clear, I, I, I misspoke there. The, off, the Falcons offense hasn't been great, uh, but it's been better than it was last year in my eyes because the environment's much better. Again, they're actually playing sort of 21st century ball where last year they were run heavy and slow. So they were 31st in pass attempts per game. They were 26th in plays per game. This year, 26th in pass attempts per game, but going from 24.4 to 31.4 is huge. That's what, a 7 pass attempts per game increase? That's absolutely massive, where 24.4 was like historically low. So just being in this bottom 10 area and not being, you know, league bottom, that's good. Plays per game, 14th in the NFL right now, 64.4. So they're running more with tempo, they're sustaining more drives, they're throwing the ball more, and that's all beautiful. So we have an offensive environment here where Drake London is going to be a fine high-end wide wide receiver three flex guy going forward. Kyle Pitts is a boom-bust tight end that you can start in a pretty bad landscape. Uh, Bijan's going to get his. Like, it's a fantasy offense that's not awful, um, is what I'm trying to say. Now, our fourth takeaway is, is Joe Burrow back. Joe Burrow comes out here this week and... They just absolutely ride him as well. They just like absolutely lean on him in the entire game. 46 pass attempts, 36 completions, 317 passing yards, three touchdowns. He had four rushing attempts as well for seven yards. It seemed like he was a little bit more mobile in this game. He looked like himself in this game. Um, I also wrote this down on Twitter where Joe Burrow in weeks one through four, his EPA per play was 30th in the NFL. His EPA per play in week five was 12th. His Now EPA per play is expected points added just on a per play basis how much are you adding to the expectation of how many points you're going to score on a given drive or a given play? Uh, like, for example, they'll have third and two in field goal range. If you somehow screw that up and get sacked and now you're out of field goal range, that's a massive negative EPA play because you, you were expected to score at least a field goal there. So just on a per-play basis, what are you doing in terms of helping your team out or hurting your team um, across the board? So he's 12th in that. Completion percentage over expectation, CPOE, is just your completion percentage based on your ADOT. What are you expected to complete on your passes? Are you over or under that? 34th in completion percentage over expected, weeks one through four. Week five, he was eighth. You have his PFF pass grade, 23rd, weeks one through four. Ninth this week, completion percentage, 78.3%. Second in the NFL this week. Weeks one through four was at just a 57.6%, 32nd in the NFL. Yards per attempt was 35th. This week, it was 18th. He had just two passing touchdowns through the through the first four weeks. This week, he had three passing touchdowns. So Joe Burrow seems to be a little bit back here. You can see this little message on the bottom. He then gets the Seahawks next week in Cincinnati at home. 
and the Seahawks are allowing the third most passing yards in the NFL per game at 280, and they have just the 19th EPA per drop back allowed defense. So it's not all that crazy of a passing defense. I will say uh, Devin Witherspoon did look scary, but I think that the Bengals won't get too tripped up by that unit. And then we have, so Burrow at home versus a, I would call it at best, a neutral matchup opponent versus Seahawks. Gets a bye to get healthy. T. Higgins is going to get healthy. And then coming out of that, that week seven bye into week eight, uh, I would feel really, really good about all of your Bengals. Now, moving on from that, we have the world-famous rookie-wide receiver report. As always, fellas, sponsored by Underdog. Make sure you check them out, Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I don't have a special pick em to promote or anything, but as always, make sure you check out Underdog Fantasy. They support the entire channel. They are the best. Promo code RON gets you a deposit match up to $500. Only right now, it matches your deposit up to $500. That is not going to be out forever. So if you've been thinking about hopping on Underdog, make sure you check it out. I'll make sure I have a link in the description, comment section down below. It'll take you right to Underdog Fantasy. You can hop in these best ball resurrection drafts where they are rest of season best ball tournaments that are just pretty much fantasy football starting week six and on. You have pickums you can try every week of projections for fantasy points, targets, passing yards, rushing yards. And you can go higher or lower on those, string them together to sort of multiply your money. You got a bunch of stuff going on there. There's also, I know that uh, basketball and hockey are starting up soon. So if you want to get into fantasy basketball or hockey, in my eyes, I've honestly done a couple of each. I can't set, I mean, an 82 game season, I can't set a lineup every week. So best ball for me, where the best scores are just taken every week is the only practical way for me to play other sports fantasy football. So if you want to try out basketball or uh, hockey, make sure you check out Underdog Fantasy. I'll have a link in the description and the comment section down below. But let's get to the rookie wide receiver report, the world-famous one as seen on TV, of course. But first up, uh, this is going to be all rookie wide receivers with 50 or more routes ran, sorted by a PFF grade. Now, pass snap percentage is just how many of the pass snaps are you on the field for, how many of the routes are you participating in, are you on the field and we're trying to pass the ball. That's really what we're looking for. Targets per out run on a per-out basis, how many times – you know, how often are you commanding a target? Anything over 20% is good. Anything over 25% is elite. Uh, yards per out run, anything over 2 is great. Anything over 2.5 is elite. Uh, PFF grade, anything over 80 is elite here. So we're just going to sort of go right down the list here. First, we have Puka Nakua. In his first game with uh, Cooper Cup, they go out there and account for 67.5% of the targets, which is just so crazy. Like right now, one of the more consolidated target shares, or just like last season, was the Eagles, where A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith combined for like 60% of the targets. I think it's going to be like that here, where you see both Cup and Puka flirting with about 30% of the targets and just having a very consolidated passing offense, where they both finished as top 12 wide receivers this week. I would feel confident in Cooper Cup as a top five wide receiver moving forward. And Puka Nakua, like Devontae Smith last year, is going to flirt with top 12 numbers himself. Like I said, I'm kind of comparing it to that A.J. Brown-Devontae Smith situation, but instead of having your quarterback, who is Jalen Hurts, running the ball all the time, you have Matthew Stafford in one of the past-heaviest offense in the NFL. So it wouldn't shock me if Cup was like a top-three wide receiver rest of the season and, K and Puka Nakua flirted with top-12 numbers. To me, it feels a lot like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, but Cooper Cup and Robert Woods was pre-Cooper like Cooper Cup being the Cooper Cup we know as him today, right? The breakout season in 2021, I believe it was, so... Now Cooper Cup is that. I think Puka Nakua is better than Robert Woods. So I don't know. I, I don't know that Cup takes a ton away from Puka. I think it takes a little bit of the ceiling away. But to me, again, still just about a top 15 wide receiver moving forward. Now, after that, we have Rashi Rice. It's a little bit concerning to see him go from like about 50% of the pass snaps to now 23% this week, 
but his per out stuff is still elite. He still had a great game where he actually improved his PFF grade. His PFF grade, Rashi Rice, I believe, was in the high 70s. After this game, he actually got up to 81.6. So that's actually really good to see. He caught a touchdown. We're playing the long game with a lot of these rookie wide receivers. Rashi Rice is a guy that we are still holding the light out or holding the light on for. Same thing with Marvin Mims as well. Snap percentage decreased, but I think he kind of got put in the doghouse a little bit. Uh, I was watching the game just because I'm watching the Jets. And Marvin Mims, I think he like muffed a punt. He either muffed or fumbled a punt. There's this one trick play Sean Payton did where uh, he did like this end around and Marvin Mims just kind of like tossed it up and fumbled there. Like there were some turnovers that were Mims was directly responsible for. So I get him getting less time. I will say that, you know, for, for fantasy, we don't really care what he's doing on special teams or anything like that. We just care about him earning targets and being efficient, and that's what he's been doing. Still over 80 PFF grade. Again, just like Rashi Rice, the snaps will come. We're holding out for the long game. Tankdale left the game with a concussion. That's why his pass snap percentage went all the way down there. No real takeaways there. Zay Flowers, target hog, man. Guy has a 22.7% target per out run. He did leave points on the table this week. He had 10 targets with a 16.7 yard A dot. So that's a lot of volume there in terms of expected points per game he turned it into just five catches for 73 yards so that's not great but it's really encouraging to see that a dot for him where in week one he had a 2.6 yard a dot so that's really gadgety right we're getting like bubble screens and getting your kind of like Kadarius tony uh type of usage there and that's not great because yes you're going to have inflated target shares but your targets are going to be way less valuable than a guy like iuk who has like a 16 yard a dot but Zay Flowers has shown the last two weeks he had a 13.3-yard dot in week four. He had a 16.7-yard dot in week five. So that's really, really great for his upside if we can get him down the field running deep routes. Now, he did have like a pretty boneheaded – I wouldn't even call it a drop. He kind of like tripped over himself. So it's worth noting that he didn't really thrive in this new role, uh, but it's really encouraging that he's been thrusted into it um, is what I'm trying to say. So – Really encouraging as they sort of start to give him more nuance to his game, putting him downfield. That's all really good stuff because we want, you know, complete wide receivers, not gadgets. Now, after that, we have Josh Downs, who had his best game yet as a pro, six catches, 97 yards. His two best games so far in terms of PPR points have both been in games with Gardner Minshew. So with Andy Richardson now out for four to six weeks or whatever it may be, Josh Downs gets a nice boost here for these next few weeks. Now, I will say, uh, Jaden Reed, Demario Douglas, Dontavion Wicks, Quentin Johnston, Trey Palmer, JSN are on by, or they're irrelevant. But I will say, Jack Smith is a little bit concerning, man. He's commanding targets, but my God, dude. He has the worst PFF grade on this entire list. And on top of that, the Seahawks are just using him completely wrong. Like, his ADOT is so low. They're using him like he's Kadarius Tony, Jack Smith the Jigba, when that's not, like, he's much more of a Keenan Allen uh, if that makes sense. So I, I don't really know what they're looking for. Or, I, I don't know what they saw on film to draft JSN because it's clearly not the same usage in film that we all thought that he could maybe have here. Now that role could expand. He's coming out of the bye. I'm optimistic for JSN, Quentin Johnson, all those guys out of the bye. But it's just a little bit concerning with how they've been using him so far uh, and very frustrating. Now we also have some uh, target concerns for Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson here, just a 14.4% target per out run. Uh, th he had a game this week versus the Bengals where they were just getting beat up on. They were trailing the entire time. They had to throw the ball and air it out. Uh, James Conner gets hurt, so they just have to rely on the air game or the uh, passing game. And Michael Wilson was nowhere to be found, just two targets here. So it's a little bit tough. Uh, Josh Dobbs also came came back down to earth in this game. Then we have Jordan Addison, 
really nice bounce back game for him. It's his best graded game of the season. Uh, he was versus the Chiefs. He had, I believe, like 60 yards and a touchdown, Addison, which is pretty good. I think like seven targets, six catches. Uh, no, nine targets, six catches, 64 yards and a touchdown. That's great. Um, and you have Justin Jefferson, who's like potentially going to miss next week. And that could give Addison a really nice foot in the door to, you know, completely close the door on KJ Osborne, becoming that number two wide receiver and somebody who's, you know, a focal point of this offense. Now, after that, we have uh, Jalen Hyatt. Tough to get a read. The Giants are just so bad, but five targets for four catches and 99 yards through five games is not good. So we'll see what happens. At least Hyatt is playing more. And then our last guy here is John Mingo. And he's not really doing much, but he is earning targets. 19.1% target per run is pretty dang good. Uh, 86% of the pass snaps this week after week three, he left the game with a concussion out in week four, back to being like pretty much a full-time wide receiver. And he had his best week yet, seven targets, five catches, 48 yards, and his best PFF grade of his career so far. So Mingo uh, starting to emerge a little bit, somebody I'd be stashing uh, in most redraft leagues. After that, we have our sixth takeaway though, after the rookie wide receiver report. And that one is going to be the Sam Laporte's a rookie season, man. Sam Laporte, I just want to put it into perspective how good this guy has been. I mean, I, I, we have genuinely never seen a start. Like, as much shine as Pukunaku is taking for his historic start, we've never seen someone do what Sam Laporte is doing. Week one, five catches, 39 yards. I think tying the record for most catchers in a tight end's debut. Five catches, 63 yards in the next game. Then he gets 11 targets, eight catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Then he gets four for 56. Then he gets three for 47 and two. And he now has the most point PPR points to a tight end's first five games over the last 20 years. And it's a really good list to be a part of. Jordan Reed was an absolute monster. Kyle Pitts is somebody that we know is good. He's just in a really tough scheme at this point. Travis Kelsey, arguably the best tight end of all time. And then Aaron Hernandez. There were some comments on this tweet of being like, you know, not the best company. I'm trying to think of how to say how to say this. Aaron Hernandez off the field, questionable dude. Aaron Hernandez on the field. I mean, putting up 55.2 PPR points and being on this list next to Gronkowski, right? Like we, Don Kincaid can't even flirt with this list right now next to Dawson Knox. So Aaron Hernandez pacing with Travis Kelsey in his first five games next to Gronkowski, arguably the best tight end of all time in a league that two tight end sets isn't all that familiar. Even back in the day when they were playing or having two tight end sets where both of them were receivers, um, Really special stuff. I mean, you can look through anything. Like, uh, until he left the NFL, first four years, points per game. He's at the top of all those lists. Again, with the context of being next to Robert Gronkowski, right? Like, so just getting routes uh, as a second tight end on team is impressive. And being a focal point of the offense is impressive. Um, and he kind of started the Sam Laporta build of these, like, undersized 6'3", 240 guys. Um, who else kind of fit? Evan Ingram, Sam Laporta, like, all these guys. Uh, David Njoku are kind of spawns, uh, Jordan Reed are kind of spawns of what Aaron Hernandez was. So again, questionable stuff for sure. Um, but Aaron Hernandez was a stud in his prime, man. Uh, he, he really was. Now, after that, we have Adam Thielen, slot hero. Uh, this completely fell under my nose. I'm going to be honest. Adam Thielen was a guy that we weren't drafting at all in the offseason. Big miss by me. I thought he was going to be dust. I didn't think that he would be, you know, Dwayne McFarlane here is a tweet. He said, Adam Thielen, so this is what he quoted, right, from September 25th. Adam Thielen has 18 and 32 points in his last two games at 33 years old. Looks like a borderline wide receiver two playing from the slot. Other aging wide receivers have made that transition and performed. Fitzgerald, Wayne, Bolden. 
sue me for not putting Adam Thielen in the same conversation as Larry Fitzgerald, Reggie Wayne, and Quan Bolton. Those guys are like Hall of Famers. To me, Adam Thielen, you know, he's not in that same category whatsoever. So not that he's kind of proving me that he, sh- he is in that category, but he's having the same late career success as those guys here where uh, Dwayne McFarlane actually makes a really good point here where Adam Thielen in four healthy games this year has had a 67% slot rate, which is really interesting that he's now moved to the slot and had a lot of success, 29% target share, 23.8 points per game, just needs to stay healthy. So to me, Adam Thielen is probably the top 30 wide receiver rest of season at the absolute worst uh, moving forward just because the offense is pretty bad. But this new like slot reinvented role for Thielen uh, is really, really good for fantasy football. Our eighth takeaway here is the Tajay Spears role expansion here where Derrick Henry, man, continues continues to fall uh, in terms of usage where we now have 59% of the snaps this week. And this was his first week this season with under a 70% rush attempt share, all the way down to 62%. We had Tajay Spears have his season high, 33% of the rush attempts, uh, it's just tough, man. He's still running 54% of the routes, Tajay Spears. He's running over 50% of the snaps in four out of five games. It's just really limiting what you're getting from Derrick Henry. Like, at this point, Derrick Henry is like a dead zone-ish RB2. You know, you got 9.2 points for him. You're not getting much in the receiving game from him. Uh, in terms of where he's at, in terms of, like, PPR fantasy point leaders this year, we're talking about the RB... I mean, we're talking about the RB... 14. Yeah, I mean, like, it's tough, man. 13.6 points per game. Like, that is just not what you drafted him to be, uh, most likely in the second round of draft. So, I don't know. It's not, it's not like you can trade him or anything, but I think if you have Derrick Henry, like, you have full permission to be panicking a little bit. Uh, it, it's, looking, it's looking tough, man. It's looking really tough. This offense isn't that good. This was a game against the Colts that was, like, competitive as well. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't like they were trailing the entire time and it wasn't a game script for Derrick Henry. Like it was a fine spot for Henry and it just, it just wasn't great. Uh, so he continues to kind of see touches and snaps get taken away by Ty J Spears. And that's definitely an issue for a guy that you kind of drafted for a crazy volume role. Uh, after that, we have Miles Sanders versus Chuba Hubbard. Uh, Miles Sanders to me was the quintessential dead zone RB this year. And I think that he has shown to do that where, uh, JJ Zacharyson has a tweet here. He said, Miles Sanders has been banged up the last two weeks. So that is fair. Miles Sanders has a groin issue. Uh, he's been dealing with the last two weeks. In both of those games, he's filled it a 50% rush, uh, running back rush share and a 10% target share. So Chuba Hubbard, the last two games, has really eaten into the, the snaps, the touches. I think Chuba Hubbard actually led the team or led the backfield in snaps and touches in this last game. Yeah, where Miles Sanders had 46% of the snaps, seven attempts, one target. Um, and then you had Chuba Hubbard in this game, 48% of the snaps, nine attempts, two targets. Yeah, so 11 opportunities to Miles Sanders, eight opportunities. And that's just really bad for Miles Sanders. And on top of that, Miles Sanders has been one of the stone worst running backs in the NFL this week or this year. And if you want to say, oh, well, Miles Sanders has been banged up recently. This week, week five, was his best yards per carry he's had of the entire year at 4.57. Before that, we're talking 1.46, 2.67, 3.07. Like, he has just been awful. And yards per carry is not a great stat, but you can go down the entire board here where yards per carry, Sanders is 3.1, Hubbard is 4.4. Rushing yards over expectation, minus 0.72, Hubbard is 0.38. You have success rate. Miles Sanders is 34th, Chuba Hubbard is 4th. 
And success rate is just more of like your uh, consistency as a running back. So on a given play, you know, not so much waiting, your like having a huge chunk play, but are you just taking what's blocked and, you know, just getting the easy stuff. Sanders can't even do that. Explosive rush rate, 35th in the NFL. Hubbard, 16th. PFF rush grade. Miles Sanders is the 57th graded PFF rusher. Hubbard is the 7th. Yards of the contact per attempt. Miles Sanders is 49th. Hubbard is 11th. And it's not even like, I know, and I included this number because I knew there were going to be people that are like, well, Chuba Hubbard's the passing down back. He's getting lighter boxes. Not even really. Miles Sanders has the 45th highest percentage of 8-plus in the box runs. So he's running against light boxes. He is only facing 8-plus defenders in the box 8.2% of the time, whereas Hubbard is seeing that 31.4% of the time, like more than triple the amount that Sanders is seeing heavy boxes Hubbard is seeing a ton of heavy boxes and outdoing him in all efficiency metrics. The only thing that is keeping any kind of bearing on this primary role or bell cow role for Miles Sanders is the contract he signed. I don't know how long that's really going to matter for the decision makers here. I think there's going to be a, more of an even split than a lot of the Miles Sanders guys drafted Miles Sanders to be. He's going to get healthier here, but I also think he hasn't been playing well even before the injury. So we'll kind of see how this role shakes out over an entire season. But we mentioned this in like one of the first top 10 lessons learned. Uh, Noah Moore parties, Noah Hills. He was talking about it early on in the season. But the volume Miles Sanders was getting is cool. And volume is great for these running backs. But you're not going to lead the league in volume over the entire year if you're one of the worst rushers. Like it's just not how volume works. So you'll get volume early on. But if your talent doesn't you know even up to the amount of volume you're getting that's going to eventually come back down and balance itself out so that you're getting the amount of touches you probably should be getting based on your talent level so just something to think about with Miles Sanders um, and then our last takeaway here is the Ravens owe Lamar Jackson or the Ravens wide receivers owe Lamar Jackson an apology Brad Spielberger here said Lamar Jackson with an all-time letdown from his receiving core Ravens were credited with seven drops third most since 2017 including two in the end zone and two more on throws 20-plus yards downfield, one of them a big-time throw. Lamar's grade this week isn't going to resemble the box score whatsoever. This is why. So the Ravens just had a brutal day. Rashad Bateman had a drop touchdown. Zay Flowers had a dropped uh, deep ball downfield. Like, it was awful, man. Now, I will say the Ravens, like, they completely gave that game away for the Steelers. For whatever reason, they're, like, up to with, like, three minutes left or whatever it was, and they draw up a OBJ goal line fade that gets picked – Steelers score, they make, they mount the comeback, they complete the comeback. Uh, you just really hate to see it, but I, I really wouldn't sour on Lamar at all because of it. His receiving weapons kind of let him down, but we know that Zay Flowers has been good, Mark Andrews is talented, we've seen what Rashad Bateman can be. Um, I do think there are better days ahead, but I just wanted to add some context to that Ravens game yesterday. For anybody that's kind of like, man, like I wish I, I saw more from Lamar Jackson, his receivers gave him no favors. Now, with that being said, that is the entire video. Um, this was a little bit late today. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, it was a buddy's birthday yesterday. We were watching the game, having a good time. So um, late start to the morning is all I'll say. But regardless, I love doing these videos. I appreciate you guys coming out here, watching them, supporting the channel. Um, as always, I'm going to upload this video and then work on the waiver wire video for tomorrow. So as always, be on the lookout for that. Subscribe if you enjoyed. Subscribe if you're new. As always, I'll see you guys in the next one.